one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the show. What a great show we have for you today. Nancy Landrum is in the house. Me? A two-year-old? Nah, can't be me. Uh, That's what today's show is about. You know, let me just say a little bit about Nancy because, you know, we think about where we are now and we think about the changes we've gone through and you think about how you fared through them. You know, one has to be looking at, and I know I've looked at it for myself, you know, when you are in close quarters with people, when you are are in uncertainty, when you are fill in the blank for yourselves, it doesn't matter, you fill in the blank. I mean, honestly, I just went through this in my dentist's office, right? So when you are dot, 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 what happens to us now in the middle of stress, in the middle of strain? And, you know, once upon a time, we were in the stress and strain of our lives. No kidding. You went up, you got to your job, you went to work. Maybe your boss is just like had a bad hair day. You don't know. Um, But this is different. And so the toll it is taking on us, our relationships, whether they're in the workplace. I mean, honestly, I had a little temper tantrum with my robot yesterday. So that's how I know that there's something that's operating, right? beyond what we can imagine. Nancy Landrum is that expert. She is that person that has been able to look at the dynamics of relationships. And if you saw some of the tools she uses to help people and help couples, I don't know when she's going to start talking about some of the games she has, but I will tell you, powerful is an understatement. And not only for relationships, I talked with her earlier about taking this body of work into organizations because OMG, it is so easy to lose your junk. So today we are taking it on. Go to nancylandrum.com, managing the two-year-old within Nancy. Wow. Right? (laughs) Well, right. Two-year-olds have a lot of adorable qualities, you know, they're energetic, they're creative, they're curious, uh, they're very loving, affectionate when given the opportunity, but we all know what happens when a two-year-old doesn't get what he or she wants, you know, they're famous for the terrible twos because they throw tantrums, and each of us has a two-year-old within, myself included, I'm not excluding myself. And I love the part of myself that is creative and that, you know, is energetic and gets projects done and loves tackling something new, learning something new. But I, like everyone else, am challenged when I don't get what I want or when someone treats me in a way that I consider disrespectful. 
Now, years ago, when my late husband and I were in the worst of our marriage, we were two two-year-olds trying to conduct an adult relationship, and we didn't do it very well. We had temper tantrums, each of us. And one of the things, well, <clears throat> our temper tantrums drove us to the brink of separation until we finally found the help that we needed to learn how to manage out-of-control emotions. So it's fine to throw a temper tantrum, but not when it's attacking another person. So the, the, the skill for me was learning to throw my temper tantrum privately away from <laughs> where it could hurt anyone, yeah. including myself. So I would throw my temper tantrum in my journal. I would write all kinds of nasty things about Jim and um, how I felt and how wrong he was and why couldn't he listen to me and on and on until I finally calmed down. And then I could go back to Jim and conduct whatever conversation we were having with respect. That's the key. You know, so my, I tell my clients, going through a coaching package with me is like taking a master's degree in emotional management. If you want a successful, healthy marriage or any relationship, you must learn to control emotions that are typical of a two-year-old. I love this conversation because, you know, what you said is important in several ways, right? And one of them is there's a way that you can self-express your tantrum. Now, I will tell you, I had a moment yesterday with my robot and it wasn't about my robot. You know, we all get into sometimes what happens is, you know, we do our best to show up in the world, but sometimes we all have off days. You know, we're not perfect. And, you know, I was not having an off day, but I had an off practice day. And it didn't matter what I did. This is the darndest thing, but it's so metaphoric for what you're saying. It didn't matter what I did. I could not get this arm to go from here to here. I, I don't care what I did. Now, if that happens in a simple mode like that, what the heck goes on in our lives when we can't get ourselves from here to here or without we, a moment? Or when we can't get someone else from here to there. Oh, my gosh. That's, I know. That's usually when the two-year-old comes out in force, when someone else isn't behaving the way I want them to. Mm -hmm. and, anyway, it's uh, we got real creative. I... I used to throw my temper tantrums in my journal or with one particular relationship I was having trouble with. I wrote a nasty letter every morning to that person and then burned it until finally the anger and frustration that I had with that person had dissipated enough that I could begin to see the issue from their point of view, which is called empathy. Uh, Jim got real creative. He didn't like journaling. And so he bought a micro cassette recorder. And today we have them on our phones. But when he was angry with me and wanted to tell me off, he would take a time out, go drive to the nearby park and park where someone no, no one could hear him. And he would turn the cassette recorder on and ball me out good. 
you know, just say whatever he wanted to say to me, but he set it into the micro cassette recorder. And he said he, he would rewind it and play it back. And when it started to sound funny to him, he knew he was ready to come home and deal with the issue with me, but with respect. I think that what that does is threefold. Can we talk about what that does for a minute? Sure. You know, because I think there is a motion of this that if folks can understand the power of that, there's something in it that's so important. See, what he did is whatever he needed to do, he released the energy of that. Yes. He released it. You know, what I'm hearing from people that it's really interesting, a lot of folks have been pent up for about 20 months, you know, without any tools, without any release. So when they do release, it's like a big explosion. Yes. Right. So he took himself off. You wrote a letter, right? Um, we all have these moments where we get to go rant and rave for a little bit. But the key, isn't it, that that two-year-old within, we have to find a place for that two-year-old within to fully express and not harm another person. Exactly. Exactly. Which means that I have to anticipate, I have to learn to gauge when, the, when I'm being triggered and when my emotions are reaching a point where I know I'm going to lose it and not be able to be respectful and make an adult choice to get the two-year-old away. Uh, I, had, I coached one mom years ago who tended to be very reactive and too violent with her children. And she taught her children that when she needed a timeout, she'd go to her bedroom, pound on a pillow, tell them, please don't open the door, Mom needs a timeout, and she would vent her anger out of, you know, beating on the mattress. In fact, some of the research indicates that it's easiest to dissipate the energy of anger by using our arms, something to do with our arms, which is why women traditionally clean the stove or mop the floor, and men can wash the car or hit on a, a boxing bag or play basketball, something that uses the upper body tends to dissipate the energy of anger out of our body faster, I'm told. That's what research has said. Exactly. And there's a reason for it, though, too, right? When we're looking at this, there's a reason for how that works. But isn't the point in what we're talking about really to demonstrate that there's an alternative? Because once we let that two-year-old out of its crib or wherever it's in, and there are no boundaries, and there are no considerations for other people, the havoc that it could really raise is so damageable that they, you may not be able to pair. I think, Nancy, the reason we're talking about this is, I mean, if you really are a two-year-old and you're running around in your diapers or whatever you're doing, we know you're a two-year-old. But when you're an adult and your two-year-old show up, sometimes the damage can be so hard to repair, right? Well, that's why couples come to me for coaching is because they're, they're acting like two-year-olds and they need to learn how to conduct an adult relationship. Yeah. from the adult inside, not from the two-year-old that's out of control. Mm -hmm. um, 
Hmm. You know, and you don't want to kill the two-year-old. It's not like you want to get rid of it because anger is a valuable emotion. Mm-hmm. And creativity and joy and affection and all those things also come from the two-year-old. But when the two-year-old is allowed to react without any control, you know, once in a while you see in public a two-year-old throwing a tantrum. And if it's a wise parent, the wise parent just picks them up, holds them where they can't hurt themselves or anyone else, and waits for the storm to pass. And once the storm has passed, then maybe they can reason with the two-year-old. But I remember my niece telling me that her grandson was throwing a temper tantrum who was about two because he wanted to play with her guitar picks and she took them away from him and he threw a tantrum and she just held him and kept saying, I'm sorry, grandma can't let you play with everything. You know, they were small enough. He could have swallowed them. She didn't want them to get lost. She, he, she just kept saying, I'm sorry, I can't let you play with everything. So when I was in danger of losing my temper, I literally had to clamp my jaw shut because mine came out mostly in vicious words, clamp my jaw shut and say to my two-year-old inside, if I let you say what you're about to say, you're going to have to apologize later. Do you want to apologize? My two-year-old hates apologizing. And so she would say, no, I don't want to apologize. Then let me take you away. Let me call a timeout so that you can vent your anger in a safe place, not at Jim or not at one of the children, not attacking anyone else. Because if I let you have your way right now with your anger, there's, you're going to do damage that will need repair. And repairing is not much fun. It's better to take a time out and let my two-year-old throw a tantrum in a quiet place away. Mm. Yeah. I want to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to break this down a little bit. Because one of the things we know, and, and this is what we're discovering. This is one of the saddest bits of information in my field of psychology, Um I touched upon this in my research, but I did not know how extensive this was. And I will talk about this when we come back from break. You know, what I discovered is were that people that I interviewed were carrying things for 10 years. Yes. Now, why would you carry something for 10 years? Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about how important it is for us now as parents, grandparents, whether you're locked down or not locked down, whatever the relationship you're in, there's a level of mindfulness you need to have because what we're finding out, when a young two-year-old or a child has been abused, and I'm not talking just sexually, sexually is horrific, but we'll get into that. But I'm talking verbally abused, physically abused. And it doesn't matter what kind folks right? It doesn't matter what kind. When that happens, tell me what the impact is when we come back. Let's take a short break. Sometimes being human has its challenges. Our physical health falters, our spirits sag, our dreams don't immediately come to fruition. Welcome to the power of Maximum Medicine Radio. Join me, Doc Martin, in conversations that will blow your mind about healing. In our hit show, Doc Martin addresses the scientific 
with bridging to the mystical approaches to give you a new narrative about maximum medicine. In this live call-in show, we will journey into the extraordinary genius of the human body and talk about other beliefs that impact being your multidimensional self. We seek the seen and the unseen and explore the earthbound and the otherworldly, all with the purpose of calling forth the maximum you. To learn more about Doc Martin and Maximum Medicine, visit www.SharonMartinMD.com. Join the new earth on the Cornelia Stephanie show. Tune in each month as Cornelia takes listeners on an odyssey of higher consciousness to inspire, educate, and empower. Cornelia Stephanie is a spiritual teacher, passionate speaker, published author, and founder of the Empower Network. Cornelia guides people on the path of self-healing, peace, and liberation. For more information, go to CorneliaStephanie.com. Join Jennifer Noel Taylor on the hit show, Quantum Touch Radio, supercharging your life on TransformationTalkRadio.com. You'll take a quantum journey as well as reveal powerful yet simple steps to create more abundance, better health, emotional and mental vibrancy and happier relationships using universal quantum touch principles. For more information, visit QuantumTouch.com. Did you know that each Enneagram type has a different worldview, different patterns of thinking, feeling and behaving? They also have essential qualities that are unique to their type. Understanding this helps us develop more tolerance, respect, and appreciation for ourselves and others. Renee Siegel works with individuals, couples, families, and groups using the Enneagram to build better relationships as a tool in addiction recovery. Visit URPurePotential.com for more info. It's time to shake out your money-making truth on Soul Wisdom Abundance with Jennifer Bloom, creating wealth from spiritual health on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show is more than your roadmap to success. It's your compass to abundance through joy and ease. Jennifer Bloom teaches you about the soul's relationship to money and wealth and how improving that relationship serves both you and the world. Learn more at JenniferBloom.com. Yeah, how many two-year-olds out there? How many of you have just been right in the middle of a marriage breakup or relationship breakup or any kind of breakup or friendship breakup or family breakup? I mean, yeah. When do the two-year-olds really come out? Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. That's when the two-year-olds, they're like all dressed and ready to go. But today we're talking with Nancy Landrum because this is a body of work that she does as a coach relationship coach and beyond to help people understand not just the healthy boundaries, but what to do. And what I love about Nancy's work is she's never telling you to suck it up. And that's really why couples work with her, because there are results that you get that will help you if, in fact, this is where you want to go. And if that's not where you want to go, even though breaking up is hard to do, there's a way to do it. Nancy, what's the place, best place? NancyLandrum.com, right? Your website for folks? Yes. Uh, we're talking about the two-year-old today. Um, let's talk about, we know how the two-year-old may show up in relationships. Let's just talk about what that looks like. But also, what if, like I said before the break, this two-year-old has grown up in a maybe horrific situation 
And, and when I say that, many people want to dismiss verbal abuse, and I don't. But no. what happens now if that two-year-old shows up? All of us bring our wounds with us into any relationship. And the more intimate the relationship, the more important it is to us, the more our wounds show up. It's like a, a bruised place. When the bruise hasn't healed and you touch you touch it, it, it still hurts. And if you haven't healed from wounds in the past or you haven't known how to deal with the wounds from the past, then you're, you're kind of doomed to recreate them in your current relationships. I have a current client who was severely abused in a past relationship and she's, she and her current partner are trying to create a healthy relationship now but little things will happen that trigger the trauma and the panic from this past wound. In fact, I was uh, communicating with her this morning to give her some ideas about how to, how to take care of herself when she feels a panic attack coming on. Even though the current relationship isn't mistreating her the way the previous relationship did, she still gets that panic attack reaction whenever there is anything that even remotely reminds her of discord, of conflict, of, uh, not, uh, of not being treated exactly the way she wants. So if, that, if, the, if there's still, if the two-year-old inside of you suffered abuse, either verbal, physical, sexual, doesn't matter what kind of abuse it is. In fact, there's four different kinds of abuse that can happen in adult relationships. But if you've suffered verbal abuse um, and the, the two-year-old will react in two ways, will either fight back and get really tough and determined to um, not let it get her down or him down, will push through it and might become very aggressive in adult life, might become very controlling in adult relationships as a way of protecting herself from uh, having that kind of abuse take place again. Or the two-year-old will become very submissive in an attempt to keep herself safe. And in that case, the two-year-old becomes a professional victim. Like in any relationship, they see themselves as the victim and they only react as a victim. They're not able to set appropriate boundaries for themselves. They uh, tend to choose partners over and over again that recreate that kind of abuse. So they, they're a victim at work. They're a victim in their marriage. They're a victim as a parent. They're a victim as a friend. Uh, to, to learn how to outgrow the need to wear the victim role in any relationship takes some real hard work and takes some time. When I think about this, I, I'm, I'm really drawn to getting back to what you said before. I think it, one of the hardest things, Nancy, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, and that's why I think many of us who've really had to work on our lives and ourselves, 
what we have found is it is close to impossible to do alone. At least I have found that. Now, I'm very fortunate that I've had great people in my life. I have a best friend I've had since 1972. And, you know, we are very different people. We are so very, very different. Um, I, I want to put a weeping scotch pine in the front of the lawn. And, uh, you know, my best friend's like, oh, no way. Um, you know, we're very different in that way, but we know each other. And so there's been a reflection of that. How can people use that reflection to change? Because nine times out of 10, you know, something's off. I mean, you know, some, you can feel it in your energy field, you know, you're off, but you don't know how to even hit the pause button. You know, you're not quite sure God, I am feeling like a victim, but you don't use those words, Nancy. You just feel like, why is everybody ganging up on me? Hello. Now, if you're metaphysical, you're like, why is the universe ganging up on me? I got to take that back universe because I don't actually believe that about me. But isn't that part of the sense of things? You know, um, I last summer, I ended up writing a book. I thought I was through writing books, but I ended up writing a book for my clients called Your Inner Child, A Journey to Peace and Wholeness, mm -hmm. Freedom. And it was because I ended up doing inner child work with so many of my clients that were playing the victim role or were out of control with their reactions toward other people, inappropriate actions. And I, what the first coach I had, I was in my early 40s, and I was desperately depressed. I felt like a victim. I, um, my life was out of control. My marriage, my kids were out of control. And she began to teach me about how to work with that wounded inner child, going back to childhood when I was so wounded by the fighting that went on between my mom and dad. The fighting wasn't targeting me necessarily, although I got my share of it, but it was, I was so disturbed by the way they treated each other. And, um, and she began to teach me how to develop a loving parent inside myself to take care of this wounded inner child. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what a loving parent would do. I had yeah. been raised by a nurturing, loving parent. I didn't, you know, my loving parent was the perfectionist, the demanding one, the judgmental one that seemed like the one that had the most authority and the most control inside of me. But she taught me that isn't the loving parent. The loving parent loves you at all times. The loving parent loves you no matter what you do. The loving parent will step in and take control when you're about to hurt yourself or hurt someone else. And it took some years. I, I, that's where I began journaling is I would write out my feelings from usually that two-year-old inside that was wounded and hurting. And then I would practice being the loving parent, loving that two-year-old within that was wounded. And that, that was my journey toward wholeness, was learning how to work with the wounded inner child and not let that uh, wounded two-year-old become the abuser 
um, I was becoming, I had become the abuser and my verbal disrespect for my husband and sometimes with my children. And I had to learn how to stop the two-year-old from repeating the behavior that she hated so much as a child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The loving parent was not an easy role for me to learn because I didn't, I hadn't had a model at an early age. So Jackie became my model for quite a while. Uh, She would read my journal and, and tell me, you know, this isn't what I mean by a loving parent. And this is how the loving parent speaks to a beloved child. Um, and I'm, I'm starting, you know, I'm finding one of my current clients is needing that same kind of modeling right now because she doesn't know how. She doesn't know how to love herself. Loving myself was one of the toughest I guess, toughest jobs, if you want to call it a job, um, that I've ever had to do is to love myself, forgive myself where I'm weak, forgive myself when I make a mistake, go on loving myself, believing in myself. Um, that's, that's been a big challenge for me. Yeah. What you shared is so critical to people listening today for a lot of reasons. And let me tell you why. What I shared with you during the break is what we're discovering, Nancy, is so many people are exactly in the mode you're in. There's so many people that have been raised and have grown up in a certain way. And the world we live in today, it just doesn't work for or it just doesn't fit. And, you know, what I hear you saying is by acknowledging this in your own journey, now you can help other people because now you see it coming when people don't see it coming, right? Right. And isn't that sort of the first step? Because if we're not really, you know, we just go on in our lives. We don't see it sometimes. We especially don't see it if this is a pattern in the way we've been operating. You know, it's so funny you mentioned that because I... I got that from from Linda's parents. You know, I met them at a at a at a formidable age in my life, but I didn't come from that place. You know, I didn't come from that kind of family. Um, you mean a loving family? I, I, you know, I my 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 birth mom was extremely loving, but she died early on. I came from a disciplinary family. Yes, and yeah. a stepmom. And who said, you know, I love you, but I can't really love you like I love my own. But that is a true statement. In the end, when she passed, you could see that 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 changed. But if you don't have it, where do you go? Right. Let's take a short break. and We come back. The magic of, of humanity. You know, this is what Nancy does. When we come back. How do we honor and respect these people that have taught us love and generosity and gratitude, even if our first meeting with them might have been a little bumpy? When we come back, we're going to talk about RE, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, respect. Not only has Nancy found something interesting about that, but everybody research in the body of research I did in 2001. This is something that is so at the top of the food chain, 
We just don't know how to do it. Aretha Franklin said it best, Benny. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Even though your home base is one Enneagram type, you have characteristics of all the types. Tune in to Enneagram Conversations with Renee Siegel the second and fourth Monday of each month at 4 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn how you can unlock your unlimited potential. Visit URPurePotential.com for more about Renee and her work. That's the letter U, the letter R, PurePotential.com. Hey there, I'm Ricky Schwartz from My Turn Life Coaching, Reclaim Your Life. How do you know if you're living your life and not someone else's? Here's one way to find out. First, list out your top five core values. For example, mine are empathy, excellence, passion, service, and core values. Then put those core values into short first-person core value statements. In my case, one, empathy powers my relationships. Two, excellence is the goal in all things I do. Three, passion fuels my perseverance. Four, my value is measured by my service to others. And five, core values drive all of my life decisions. Now ask yourself, am I using my core value statements to drive my personal and professional decisions? Maybe not, maybe you've never even considered doing so. And that's where life coaching begins. Go to MyTurnLifeCoaching.com and let's put your personal core values into your driver's seat. Caring for someone with a life-altering diagnosis? You are a care hero. Navigating the unfamiliar options can be overwhelming, but you are not alone. Tune in to A Cup of Comfort with me, Trish Lau, twice monthly on Transformation Talk Radio. Let me guide you through your care hero journey by providing actionable information on how to care for a loved one in need. For more information about me, visit trishlaub.com. That's trishlaub, L-A-U-B as in boy, dot com. Learn how to lead a happier life on Miles to Go with Brittany Miles. How to lose to gain it all. Join Brittany every second and fourth Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Listen as coach and healer Brittany Miles share stories that teach you about surrender. For more information about Brittany, MilesToGoCoaching.com. Are you ready to shift your life into overdrive and stop wasting your time? If so, then I want to invite you right now to the Body Regeneration Online Academy with me, Tracy Al. In a world filled with so much information, you can get overloaded and confused, left feeling like you've tried everything and still no results. If this is you, then this platform is for you to help you step into your power, your intuition, and gain clarity. You will learn simple tools that you can use as you walk down the street. And I will teach you how to grow a stronger connection to the God consciousness. Imagine having me as your coach, shifting you, uplifting you, empowering you every week. And most of all, helping you stay connected so you can navigate your life's journey with ease and grace. Nothing will be able to get in your way. Plus, you will have a community filled with souls just like you to pick you up when you fall down and support you on your wins. No one can go this journey alone. If you are ready for your live activations, check me out at tracylclark.com and join the TLC Body Regeneration Online Academy now. Yeah, nobody knows it better than how nobody in the world back in the day, Benny, when Rita was out there. Ms. Aretha, 
was out there. Um, the man did a lot of the respect, and boy, it's it's in beautifully done in the movie. When that thing hits everybody, you'll get a lesson in what respect is. Uh, today, we're talking about respect as the foundation of lasting love, and why this is so important is to ask yourself. Does the two-year-old within you know what respect is? I don't know. Uh, Nancy, we're going to talk about this for a minute. But for those of you out there, please visit nancylandrum.com, please. This is the time where the statistics, the numbers are coming in. We know you've been unstressed. We know you've been under strain. This is the time where you don't take this journey alone. And it doesn't matter if you're in relationship with someone a partner otherwise, or you're struggling in a work environment. I'm finding work environment relationships now are just really, really difficult for people um, it, to the point where now in the Washington state, you know, with us having a mandate, I had to walk into the room today and say to everybody, look, I got to give you masks so that when you walk down the hall to go to the restroom, Boom, like that. Um, these are the kinds of tensions we're having. But for somebody like me, I'd rather wear my mask and shut down and not go out of any business. But how do you handle them? How do you do this in relationship? What is and why is respect the foundation of lasting love? This is really an unusual thing to talk about today when we're talking about two-year-olds. Can a two-year-old learn respect, Nancy? <laughs> Absolutely. If the two-year-old has a loving parent that will stop that two-year-old from getting out of control, or at least getting out of control in a safe environment rather than out of control by attacking someone else. Um, I, I kind of, I, in preparing this topic today, I thought I was harping on something that I seem to cover almost every interview, but it's so uh, core, so central to creating and enjoying healthy, loving relationships. It has to have a foundation of respect. I use an <clears throat> illustration with my clients where I draw two circles and one represents me and one represents you. But in the middle, there's this loving, uh, there's this separate entity, a third entity called our relationship. And we both contribute to the relationship. And depending on what we contribute, that relationship is either solid and safe, uh, um, a safe harbor for both of us, or it is fractured and broken and vulnerable to, vulnerable to a lot of different things, vulnerable to abuse, vulnerable to infidelity. We talked about infidelity last month, and it's the cracks in the relationship that are not being the relationship, excuse me, the relationship isn't held together with solid boundaries. So the cracks in the boundaries of the relationship leave it vulnerable to things that will damage the relationship or will damage those around you. I want to talk about the cracks. And the reason I want to talk about the cracks for a minute is that I think we all have cracks. And I have learned so much from my cracks. So I want to give you a little example. I want you to compliment. I want you to comment on it because this is a woman that without her, 
I wouldn't have learned. I learned a lot about respect from my stepmom. And I learned it in a very interesting way. But for me, I was that kid that just didn't feel great about herself. It didn't matter. I mean, you wouldn't know that now, but that's, that's my, that's my Achilles heel, you know? And when I met Joan, Linda's mom, I must've been 22, 23, something like that. And I never walked with my head up. I mean, honestly, this was me. Can you see me on the camera? I don't know if you can yes, see me. I can see you. Um, that is a sign. Now, people that see that sign and know that sign understand it. And I walked into Joan's house and was introduced to her, Linda's mom, and everybody called her Joan. Uh -huh. And you walk in and you get introduced and you're like this. Joan said to me, let me tell you something right now. You're coming in my house. You got to do one thing. You need to lift up your head and look me in the eye. That was the last time I walked with my head down. Oh, bless her heart. Oh, bless her. And bless you for hearing it, for hearing the message. Oh, my God. You look into those piercing blue eyes and that fire of that Irish woman, I'm telling you. That was, but she did it in a way where, where this was about love. And she yes. said, you know, since I want to see you, I want to meet you. I don't want to look at the top of your head. And then we went on. Yeah. I said exactly the same thing to a male client of mine recently who spoke very low. It was hard to hear him and his head was always down. He was kind of looking up through his forehead. And I said, that has to change. Yeah. You're presenting a victim to the world. Yeah. And that isn't who you want to be. I know you. That yep. isn't who you want to be. Yep. People deserve to look you right in the eye mm -hmm. to see who you are and present yourself with more confidence. Now, I understand lack of confidence. It's been a lifelong battle for me to, to build self-confidence and belief in myself. I still have to work at it. It's not an easy thing for me. But um, looking, looking someone in the eye when you meet them and, you know, saying hello, how are you, or shaking their hand when we're allowed to touch hands, uh, all of that is, is saying to the world, I'm, I'm open to be known and I want to know you. And it's so, it's just like the basis of respect that has to go into a marriage relationship uh, daily moment by moment day by day yeah. yep and i want to just say to everybody go to nancy's website nancylandrum.com and you're going to see all the books we've talked about everything from how to stay married and love it you know to really looking at you you know this idea of your inner child a path to healing and freedom but you know you also were talking about something else and let's let's talk about disrespect for a minute Yes, because I think part of that with Joan was a, a symbol of disrespect, like in some way, right? Like yes. a symbol of disrespect. Now, that I wasn't disrespecting her, but from her perspective, I want to talk with you about how disrespect shows up and people may not even know it, right? You know, because love without this level of respect is not going to last. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you may get through those early years because your drive is sexual, but once that dies off a little bit, not saying it does for everybody, but I'm just saying there's another level you go to. Disrespect is cumulative. Sorry, it is. Yes, it is. Can you talk about some of the ways disrespect shows up, especially when you're looking at the circles, right? You know, let's yeah. talk about a couple of ways it shows up. If you go to my website, there's a free download on the homepage that lists 42 common methods of communicating that are disrespectful. And almost everyone in our culture uses at least a few of them. Some of them are more damaging than others, like being unfaithful is enormously disrespectful to your partner and to the relationship. But if you constantly interrupt your partner and don't let them finish what they're saying, it's like Chinese water torture. You know, one drip at a time constantly adds up to a feeling of being disrespected. So what it looks like, my my favorite was sarcastic put-downs. I'm really good with words. I was good at sarcastic put-downs, so I was... I would throw those at Jim when I thought I wasn't being heard or he didn't pay attention to me. Or if he didn't hear me when I said something quietly, I would say it louder. So eventually I became a yeller. Uh, His disrespect was running from conflict rather than addressing conflict. So he would try to, you know, he'd, he'd leave home for a few hours and think he would come home to a quiet wife. Well, when he left, I just got more angry than ever because to me, I interpreted that as abandonment. Like stay here and work with me. Don't just bail out on me. One woman that I was actually talking to this morning, her husband just goes silent and won't communicate at all. That is disrespect. Yeah. So there's many different ways. Uh, I think one of the most common ways in our culture is kind of a one-upsmanship you tell me something I'll tell you something better yeah that one that one is disrespectful and with that's the one nobody knows is disrespectful by the way it is disrespectful also when I give you advice and I you I don't have your permission to give you advice (laughs) that is disrespect uh it's saying basically it's communicating the message you're not smart enough to figure this out by yourself you need my help let me help you (laughs) let me give you some advice uh that is disrespectful some are the most common ones the other one of the common ones in our culture is the finger pointing you you did this you did that um it's so attacking and you're going to get defensiveness, you'll get denial, you'll get counterattack when you go at someone with you messages. So ways of turning those disrespectful methods into more respect might be choosing to adopt better anger management skills, which is one of the modules in the uh, coaching package that I work with people is around anger management, learning to vent safely away so that you're not attacking someone. Yeah. Uh, being respectful might mean learning to move into conflict rather than turning away from it. When uh, Jim and I read in Harville Hendricks' book, Getting the Love You Want, 
we read that conflict is the doorway to greater intimacy. Jim could not believe that. Conflict just seemed like a horrible thing he wanted to avoid. But what we learned was when we had the skills to deal with conflict in a respectful way, rather than attacking each other, then conflict, the resolving of that conflict led us into greater emotional intimacy. And he eventually got over his fear of conflict. He didn't need to be afraid of it anymore because conflict was not delivered with disrespect. So one of the primary skills I teach couples, and we've talked about this before, Dr. Pat, is the skill of a skilled discussion, which has rules. It has very strong boundaries. But the purpose of the boundaries is to keep both of us in respect. Uh, while we are taking turns talking about a particular issue or a decision we need to make, one of the hardest parts of a skilled discussion is for one partner to be willing to listen to their other partner, to their partner, until the partner is completed what they have to say, and then they switch roles and the listener becomes the speaker. But that that taking turns is the hard, talk about a two-year-old in a conversation. Two-year-olds don't like to take turns. You know, they want to be first in line all the time. Well, a two-year-old in a conversation, particularly about a conflict, wants to be heard rather than wanting to hear what the other person has to say. So setting that aside, setting the two-year-old aside long enough to have a skilled discussion is the biggest challenge. It was the biggest challenge for me, and it's certainly the biggest challenge for most of my clients. And, you know, that leads to really understanding how this all works, because uh, let's go to, you know, how, why it's so hard to change these, but why it's not impossible. See, I think that's the thing. You know, if you're aware of it, but also, uh, you know, the Hendrix work, I mean, the whole container thing, because I took that too, and I actually went for a number of years to Imago therapy. Uh But, you know, when you're in relationship and you realize that, you know, even with that, it's not going to sustain the relationship. One of the great things you find out is that, but... The question always comes, Nancy, and we've got a few minutes left. Let's get on it. People don't think they can change. How often have you heard, wait a minute, this is just who I am? Well, no, yeah, you can change your behavior. Everybody says we can change our brain waves. But when that shows up in a relationship, there's nowhere to go. Well, I've had clients complain, you're, you're trying to turn me into someone I'm not. That's I- it. I said, what I am trying to do is help you be your best self, not your mediocre or poor self. When you're using disrespectful methods of communicating, you are your poor self. So by learning different skills and being willing to use them, I'm helping you become the best of who you are. And I teach a lot about the brain. Uh, Our brains love habits. Our brains love habits. And so whatever method, whatever way you've been communicating or practicing your relationship, well, by the time they come to me, I said, your your habits got you where you are now. 
if you want a better relationship, you need to change your habits. And the brain doesn't want to change habits. The brain likes being stuck in a particular groove, doing the same thing over and over again. And, and when wanting a different result, they don't want to, most of us, and I, myself included, I don't like having to change myself. I want the other person to change. And so some people come to me expecting me to change their partner. And when I make it clear that both people have to change, they sometimes get upset about that. But uh, you have to practice a new behavior long enough for it to create a new uh, path in the brain. Uh, literally, something I read years ago was that the blood supply goes to the neurons that are being fired often. So in my case, the sarcastic put downs in the yeah. yelling was were habits that I was I'd been practicing for years before we finally found a coach that helped us. And it was literally having to abandon a well-worn path in the brain and create a new path as though I was walking through virgin forest, having to cut away the brambles and the stickers and you know, find my way, <laughs> find my way through a new place in my brain. But when I practice the new habit enough times, the blood supply literally abandons the old habit and comes to support the new one. That's why habits are new habits are so hard to create. And old habits are hard to let go of. It's not that you're a bad person. Mm -hmm. It's that the brain is wired to us uh, to, mm -hmm. uh, to support habitual yeah. behavior. But, but you know how powerful this is? And I want to make sure everybody go, goes to nancylantern.com for help. In relationships, we don't think about it. But I'll tell you what. There isn't a sports person out there. I don't care if you're Russell Wilson or you're somebody else that hasn't gone to some coach that says you need to step back two inches. Because if you don't step back two inches, you're not going to do it. I mean, as, mu uh, as much as we think we cannot change, right? I have seen it over and over. Yeah. Is it easier to learn it from the get-go and come out of the womb like that? It is. But think about what you're doing to help people in relationship. And anytime anybody says that, I think about the many people that we look at now that are either celebrity status, Tom Cruise overcoming what he went through. These folks, we are capable. Absolutely. And that's what you're helping us with. Absolutely. We're capable.